Some of you think that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in a church in my entire life. How on earth will he draw spiritual application from that? I ask you, can one change their destiny by changing their diet? Huh? Yeah, you bet we can. That's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Live the fasted lifestyle of the Sermon on the Mount. Huh? And your whole future, you'll be blessed, the Bible says. My wife thinks that's the weakest transition ever. <laughs> but Kathy gives me a couple video clips to look at for this weekend on Thanksgiving, giving thanks and scripture, and she leaves early on Friday. I find this. <laughs> How many of you glad I did? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's get into word, Matthew 5. They're not showing that in your grandmother's church this weekend, I'm pretty sure. We've been looking at the Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. It's really a fasted lifestyle. Hey, you're going to have to take a different path than the rest of the world. And you're not going to get to indulge in all those great ways that they do. But, listen, you'll come into a place of blessing. That's what these Beatitudes were about, how to get into a place of blessing. That's why we all come to church. We want God to bless us. How do we get blessed? Most of us don't know. Beatitudes say you live like this. These eight Beatitudes have been a comprehensive portrait of what it means to be a blessed person or what kind of person gets blessed. But listen now, here's where we go into this next part. It's very important. Jesus is saying if you live like this, these eight qualities describe you, you will begin to move into a place of influence in the world as I destined you. In other words, you're not just going to be blessed yourself. The world is going to start to be affected. You are going to influence. Everybody say influence influence the lost world you will be salt you'll be light you live like this and you will not be blessed just just be blessed yourself the world will be blessed and so matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says you are the salt of the earth now i have to imagine this jesus on the mountainside we all always go on the mountainside with the lord jesus but he I, i believe he's looking at people and pointing at them right now he's saying you are the salt of the earth You are the light of the world. They'll see your good deeds. This is what it is. So let's read this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise you and say, You're so great and aren't you special and aren't you spiritual? Whoa, I diverted from the text, didn't I? It says, In the same way, you let your light shine before men, they'll see your good deeds. They'll notice, but the Lord will get praised. Amen praise will go to his name it says they'll praise your father in heaven we will be people who stir up worship in the earth for god amen by how we live oh it's good stuff let's get into it after i pray heavenly father i pray that this morning we have a special grace for the time in the word that our hearts would be open and hungry for the word of god this morning that we would crave 
truth. I pray that even with this very familiar, much preached upon passage, oh God, that we would, it would just be simple today. It would be something we can do, we can walk, we can live. And I pray for every person in this room that they would move out into a greater place of influence. You've called every one of us to be influencers, God, and I pray that we would today begin to move out in greater ways into that to really impact the world around us for the kingdom of God. I pray that each person sees how indispensable they are where you've put them. They wouldn't just look up here and think, well, there's the, the light or something, the preacher, he's doing, doing it. I pray that we would see that is so insufficient to touch this world. That's why each of us is out there. Thank you, Lord God. Give us, uh, give us grace for this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A decade back, Sears, Roebuck, and Company, they faced a very uh, significant marketing dilemma. True story. They realized they had a steady stream of male customers coming in. Huh, guys? We like Sears. Craftsman tools, right? More power, remember that? Uh, we, 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 we're buying lawnmowers and stuff, and we could just go in there. Sears. And then the, the marketing people saw that. It was great because that's part of what they were selling. But then they saw, well, we have a steady stream of women customers coming in, but buying things for their households and their husbands, buying garden hoses, buying gifts for husbands and that kind of thing. And they were noticing that their uh, clothing and particularly their ladies' apparel departments were not reaching the sales uh, levels even close that the other departments were reaching. And so they called in, Sears executives called in some of their top management and hired some of the world's best marketing people to come and come up with a strategy as to how to bring the sales up in all their various departments, particularly with regard to the women's apparel department. And so the marketing brains of the world, whoever they hired, came up with a slogan. And you all, I'm sure, remember it. Who knows if it's still their slogan? But the, the, story, uh, the, the slogan is... Uh, Come see the softer, say it, side of Sears. We, we all are very familiar with that. It's very successful. Their first ad with this new campaign had a very uh, attractive gal with the, the, these clothes they're selling on and, and kind of a, the eye-catching ad, but she's standing in the automotive department, and the caption underneath is, I came in for a diehard, and I left with a drop-dead. And... Uh, Sales have been up ever since. When I look at Matthew 5, 13, I have to see that Jesus is unfolding his marketing strategy in the earth. Uh, He's talking here to his disciples because he knows that once he is gone, listen, they will face the single most immense marketing dilemma ever to face anybody ever in sales in the history of the world. How is it Generation after generation will the love of God and the forgiveness message of God go to every corner of planet Earth. Just think about that. Sears thought it was hard selling a few skirts or blouses. Uh, Jesus is saying, we got to get this message global and we got to do it a certain way. And so just think, what if Jesus were to call the great marketing minds together and look at his... uh, his plans or look at what he has to do what would they say the marketing guys might say well you got to come up with a jingle you got to come up with a uh, you know successive series of commercials or a direct mail thing or we'll get you a slogan 
or a, a mascot or some spokesman or they, you know, the promotional mix. They'd probably come up with a lot of different stuff. And uh, who knows what they'd come up with. Uh, you know, maybe they'd bump the Budweiser beer off and during the Super Bowl they'd use the frogs. Bud, you need Jesus, you know. It's bad, isn't it? That's a bad idea. And, and people would hate it. And, and, you know, Jesus didn't use any of those strategies. And it's not just because they're bad. Uh, it, it's just that they are not his plan A strategy to reach the world with his love. Now, number point, number point number one is this. Jesus' plan A strategy to reach the world is you. And it's me. His plan A strategy to reach the world is you and it's me living as salt and light. That's plan A strategy for Jesus. He outlines it here in these passages. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are it. You're the light of the world. I'm not hiring somebody else. We're not going to depend upon direct mail. We're not going to write something in the stars. You are to let your light shine. You guys, let it shine before men, and they're going to see your good deeds. It's going to be what you're doing that's going to get this thing global, and it's going to result in praise lifting up to the earth to our Father in heaven. You're the marketing plan, plan A. And so it's imperative that those he's sending out grasp this salt and light strategy fully. Now, uh, I, I say that uh, the, the word sent, he's sending out, the word send in the New Testament is the word apostolos. That's the word, uh, so I say that uh, those who have the apostolic call on their life to go forth, which is every person in this room, those with the apostolic call on their life, they cannot go out unless they grasp this mandate. This is 101 stuff, salt and light. Now I want to teach into these, and I'll give you an A and a B here, real easy to follow this morning. The order of these two is not incidental. Salt comes first, then light. The order is not incidental. I've looked at this, I've looked at it for a long time, for a lot of years of these passages, and I'm absolutely convinced the Beatitudes are progressive, and then it doesn't stop. The order is very important when you get to salt and light. Salt comes first for a reason, and then light. Listen, when salt is doing its job, it's invisible. Everybody say invisible. Invisible. I'm saying this so we get this understanding in us. Uh, salt is only seen, listen to this, when it's sitting around with a bunch of its friends' salt in a salt shaker. That's when, it's, that's when it's being seen. But when salt is out doing its job, it's hidden. Light, on the other hand, is visible. Say visible. I mean, from a very long distance away, you can see light. Now, if light were listed first here, I would suggest to you that we would have justification then as Christians to go on and shine our blinding spotlight into the sinner's eyes and the sinful places in this world. Now, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this self-righteous, in-your-face type, point-your-finger Christianity, which has been the type of outreach that many in the church have had for years. But I would suggest to you that this type of outreach has the same effect on people as shining a bright light in their face would have. If I was to shine a bright light in your face, what would you do? You would turn away. And that's what we've been doing in the, in, in the church. And so instead of, like verse 16 says, what we're doing causing folks to praise God in heaven, what, what, what's happening when salt and light get switched around is we turn folks off to God. Salt is first for a reason. I would suggest to you that this is the brilliance 
of Jesus' marketing strategy here. First, that folks would get a flavorful taste of God's love, even through an anonymous expression of the kindness of heaven that comes through a Christian who's sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and obedient on this stuff. Get a a genuine, delightful taste. And, And this causes folks to stop and try to figure out where this nice flavor comes from. And then, everybody say then. Then they get to see the light. But then the light is not showing on their sinfulness, and they're going, ugh. The the light is shining to Jesus, because that's who the light points on. Light doesn't point on us. Look at how good we are. Look at how many great things we do for poor people. The light does not shine on us. It does not shine on their sin. The light shines on Jesus, the pathway to him. We've got to get this right in our heads. Our influence is hidden first, and then it becomes visible. Now, I've heard a story that I think really makes this uh, come alive. And, and it's the story of the construction of a bridge. Who knows where it took place, but you can just picture it in your head. Over a river, they're working for months, prepar- preparing both sides of the river, the foundations of this bridge. And I don't know how they do it, but they figure it out, and these things connect in the middle, and it all fits and works great. And so they've been working for months, and this big day comes along when they're going to finally put the last iron girders in the middle, and this thing is going to be connected across. And it happened to be a really cold and uh, wet day that day, and the workers motivated, going to get it done anyway, but they had a problem in the construction of this bridge. Despite the efforts of everybody involved, um, the iron worker, uh, the iron girders, when they were laid in place, did not meet. They were four inches off uh, to bolt them together. It was not working. It was not possible to bring them together, and there's, you know, who's, you know, who's to blame, and all the measurements were right, and the parts were ordered, and, and, it, and it was right, and so Every mechanical method possible was used to try to bring this together. Hammers started pounding, bending steel and clanging, and uh, literally cables were busting as, as weight was being applied to one side or the other. And the people who were in the area that day said the noise was deafening, but, uh, but, but to no avail. And they had to call it a night. And the, the, uh, the foreman and all those folks in charge of the project said, uh, everybody just go home, you know, come back to about noon tomorrow because we'll get, our, we'll get our engineers together and we'll try to sort this thing out. Well, the next morning, uh, the workers start showing up about noon. Everybody's there. And the next day, by the way, happened to be hot and sunny day. And the girders, when they got there, had already come together perfectly and were easily bolted together. Now, did you hear me say it was a hot and sunny day? What happened was these invisible, everybody say invisible. These invisible uh, expressions that would come from the light had done this thing that, that, that warmed this steel, that brought this together, and did more, my friends, than all the combined efforts of everybody's banging and loud commotion did. And, and I, I like that story because I believe that that story is a window for us to see what Jesus is really talking about here with regard to the church being salt. Banging people over the head with our religion. How is that working? To quote Dr. Phil. How is that working for you? Uh, It's not uh, achieving the desired result, is it? And it was never intended to be that way. Looking at these Beatitudes, I believe that everything's intentional in this Sermon on the Mount. It's just profound stuff. What we see in the Beatitudes are the hidden expressions of mercy and peacemaking and kindness and gentleness. And and if you start to live as salt in these these hidden pure in heart, the, all these incredible ways. It's like these invisible uh, rays of the sun. People start to warm up to God. 
And the Father's heart is that people warm up to him. People are lost. The Father wants to reach people. And so the Father knows I'm going to have to warm them up. And, and uh, then they'll look to me. And I bet those workers all day long that day are looking up to the sun going, amazing. I mean, we wore ourselves out. We created blisters yesterday. We about killed ourselves falling off this thing. And look at what the sun was able to accomplish. Thank God for the sun. And I believe that when salt comes first and then light, that's what's happening. But how many people have been beat up and sent away because we got these two switched around? You following me? A lot of people. Number two is this, salt. I'm going to talk more about salt today than I'm going to talk about light because we've got to get this part down. Salt implies hidden influence. Hidden influence. That's what this is about. That's what this teaching is. Let me give you some more words that will help us understand this. And, and what we mean by this is Christian people invisibly anonymously helping others warm up to god that's what it is that's what salt is people anonymous invisible just helping others warm up to god now a lot of people have been preaching on salt and light it's one of the more popular passages a lot of sermons on that i preached on it multiple times talked to you kids youth groups whatever over the years and i i've collected uh, three contemporary comparisons, or come up with them, or whatever, um, that I think really communicate salt. And I want to give them to you. I think everybody can understand them this morning. That'll help us grasp what it means to be a hidden influence with salt. Now, these are going to be A, B, C under point two for those of you who are all logically oriented like this. Number one is this Christians, to be salt, Christians ought to be like pretzels in a pub. Now, when I used to say that, I'd like, oh, but I don't, you didn't hear me say Christians ought to go to a pub, and I'd be all apologetic and get a few nervous giggles, and people would go, because I thought he said go to the pub. But now I say, go to the pub. Did you hear me? I said, go, go to the pub. Some of you are going, oh my goodness, did he just say that? Listen, listen, I think God has more of a problem with Christians who never venture out into the dark corners of our city than he does with Christians who go out to those places intending to be salt. I'm just getting that from my experience and understanding of the Scripture. I'm not saying go out and have a couple cold ones on the Lord Jesus and blend right in with the crowd. I didn't say that. Okay? I'm just saying, oh, I'm going to go into a casino because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in gambling either, but I believe in reaching lost people. And, I, and I've sat in the midst of this, these conversations that are going on, and these people, uh, we, they, they need salt and they need light. Amen? And so that's my point. Wherever you are, be like pretzel and pub. You say, you say well, why, why that? Do you know why bartenders put peanuts and popcorn and pretzels in a pub? Makes people thirsty. Salt creates thirst. It sells more drinks. Christians ought to be men and women who live lives that make people thirsty for God. When you're around them, you're like, ugh. You know, we ought to be living the kind of life that makes people warm up to God, attracts people to God, makes people want more of God, and st instead of the type of life that just turns people off to God, which I'm afraid is happening. You, you know that we have supposedly millions of Christians in the United States of America. Wow. What, what, that, isn't that incredible? God has pretzels all over the land, the United States. And then he's got churches that are filled with the living water. Wow, he's going to reach the whole country in a few years, right? How's this working? 
Do you know there's not been one county in the United States in the last 10 years that has increased even 1% in the per capita number of Christians? Many counties going backwards fast. It's because it's, it's not happening. And, and, uh, and you say, well, why not? You know, doesn't the plan work? No. Hey, this plan comes out of the brilliance of the mind of God. There's a problem with the salt. And, and it comes up in verse 13. If the salt loses its saltiness, in other words, there can be a problem with salt. It says, it is useless except to be trampled under the foot of the men. Of men. And, and when I read this, I think, oh my, look at the lack of respect and the lack of influence the church has come into in the culture. And I know we'll bump against the culture, and that's all I preached on Persecuted last week. But, but I, I want you to just look at the level of influence and all of that. And what I have to, have to think about is, could it be that we've lost our saltiness, saltiness and we deserve our present trampling? Huh? Just a theory. Talk about it. There's more here. So we're to be like pretzels in a pub, and we're to be like chocolate to milk. That sounds good right now, doesn't it? Sounds great. We're to be like chocolate to milk. Not only does salt create thirst, salt adds flavor. Everybody say flavor. The world ought not have an encounter with us and go, sour milk. Woo! Christians, you know. Uh, and that's what happens a lot of times because we're, you know, we're so stiff. And, uh, and I think Christians go to bed too early. I mean, I, I don't know if I mean that literally. You know what I mean. I mean, uh, uh, there's no zest. There's no life. There's no delight. There's no joy. I mean, there's funeral parlor people that are more interesting to be around than some of these church people that we meet. We're so stoic and come on, come on. Enjoyable flavor ought to be adding something that people really like. People are going, my life is just bleh. But look at this guy. I mean, he's just like, what is it with him? It's just like a joy that bubbles up. I like to pick on Pastor Dennis. You know, sometimes around here we call him our senior pastor, and I always put the emphasis on the senior because he's the only one who gets the AARP card on staff. <laughs> Thirteen grandchildren. How about that? But, but. Uh, uh, sometimes I introduce him. I'm, I'm serious about this. Some of you have heard me. I introduce him. As, they say, what's his job? I say, well, he's the pastor of joy. And people are like, pastor of joy? I've never heard of that before. And, and, and I mean it. He, he runs around here, whistles. You know, he's like a bird coming in. He laughs. He's lighthearted. And, and it's fun to be around him. He's an example of what I'm talking about today. There's a guy named Tony Campolo. I like telling Tony Campolo stories and been listening to him uh, for a lot of years He's from Eastern College in Pennsylvania. He's a speaker, professor, sociologist, whatever, Baptist preacher. Who knows what he is? All right. He, he goes to Hawaii a few years ago. From Pennsylvania, what's five-hour time difference? I'm not sure. So he flies to Hawaii, Honolulu. He's going to speak. The first night, he's way off in his time zones. He's wide awake in the middle of the night. So he goes down to the diner, which is just down to the corner of the street. Got an old guy and his wife running this all-night diner about 3 in the morning. He's just sitting there with the people having a cup of coffee. Nobody else is really there. As he's sitting there, there uh, is an opening of the door, and eight really scantily clad women come in, joking, and, and apparently, uh, you know, he figured out, you know, that their ladies of the night just finished their shift, or however that works, and... and, and 
And, and, uh, and so they're in here enjoying themselves. And, and this one lady, he overhears, says, uh, her name was Agnes. And he heard her say, uh, you know, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. Nobody really picked up on it. And uh, after the ladies left, Tony gets this bright idea. So he, he says to the diner owner, hey, do you, you hear? This is the guy, the crusty old diner owner, all right? Did you hear that this lady Agnes said that tomorrow's her 39th birthday? What do you say we throw her a party? What if I was to come back tomorrow night, we were to get decorations, we were to uh, get a cake and throw a birthday party for Agnes? And, and the guy looks at his wife and goes, you know, all right, that might be, that might be fun. So they set it all up, the word spread, uh, wonderful idea. Uh, they got some more people to show up. Uh, who uh, could come, and they, they had a banner with her name on it, and, and streamers, and balloons, and they had a cake, and all of that, and uh, just at that point in time when these gals were coming in uh, at night, three o'clock in the morning, just as Agnes walks in, it goes out the shout, happy birthday, Agnes, and she just stands there uh, totally speechless as the singing begins, happy birthday to you, and then the tears start streaming down her face like this, Why? Because nobody has shown her that kind of kindness in years. And the, the, the diner owner brings in this birthday cake, and, and, and she's standing there. And they, they, had to, they had to coach her to, to blow out the candles, and she's still frozen. And, and finally they say, Agnes, cut the cake. And, 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 and everybody's quiet. She's standing there finally coming up with some words, and she says, please, please, I, I I just want to keep the cake. I'll take it to my apartment. I'll keep it for a couple of days. Can I please take the cake? Nobody can find an excuse to tell her no. And so out the door she goes. She's crying and she's clutching her cake like it's the, the holy grail. And an awkward silence, of course, is just resting over the room. And Tony says, all right, I got another idea. You know, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for Agnes that you'd bless her on her birthday, that you'd bring peace into her life and you'd save her from all the troubling her. Amen. And the diner owner said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church are you from? And then Tony thinks and, and uh, kind of gets a smirk on his face and he goes, well, I preach at the kind of church that throws parties for hookers at three in the morning. <laughs> and the guy goes, no, you don't. There's no church like that. Because if there was, I'd go to that church. Do, do you see how one of God's pretzels single-handedly added such flavor to the life of a whole room full of people that they, they, they like looked and saw where the flow was coming from? Salt creates thirst like pretzels in a pub. And it creates flavor like chocolate to melt. Now, this is the third part. It's very important. Salt, C here, is like medicine to a wound. Now, one of the things, you, you all know this. I'm not teaching things you don't know. I'm just trying to give it a fresh, simple approach this morning. Salt was used in the days before refrigeration to keep meat from decaying. Uh, flesh, like, dies. It, 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 uh, but salt stops that. And so salt was rubbed into meat as a preservative. And Jesus is reminding his followers here when he says, you're the salt of the earth, that you ought to live your life in such a way that you reduce the rate of societal decline. That's what he's saying here. And so when he says salt, he's saying, hey, the world around is dying. You see it in people's eyes. There, there, there's something just falling off in them that's, that's losing life. You're to go and stop 
that. You're to go find the places. This is, now, this is to us. You're to go find the places where the quality of life is really starting to decline and die. And you're supposed to do something, give yourself in such a way to make that life better. Now, here's what I want you to know about salt. When salt is doing its job, it's consumed. Right? It's consumed. It's gone. Perhaps we ought to spend less time preserving our own whiteness with our buddy salt uh, friends in our salt shaker where we're doing nobody any good, and we ought to go out huh, and give ourselves into light into the life of the, those who really, really need it. Amen? The, the Bible says you know, the, the Word of God is a sword. Not a board to beat people over the head with. You just go out, the Bible says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Live in such a way that you win respect of outsiders. Go out and be consumed. This is what the Lord Jesus did. He came down to earth to bring the Father's love to earth, to the darkest, de- decaying places on earth, And he let himself be fully consumed, right? But there's always resurrection power of God. So I just want to tell you, you give your life and this resurrection power comes up in you and it's a great thing. Now in the service last night, I got rolling on preaching this and I told everybody in the church, I said, you need to go out and find you an Agnes. And and they all heard, go out and find a hooker. I don't want to say it that way today. (laughs) What I'm saying to you is go out and find somebody who's hurting inside. And who's dying inside. And be God's pretzel. Make them thirsty for the Lord. Laugh. Add some flavor. Add some zest. Do something very tangible, even anonymous, that is a blessing to their life, that stops the decay. You know, this is Thanksgiving week. You know, there's people thinking about how am I going to get a turkey together? How am I going to, you know, who am I going to be with? And this is a perfect week just to go do it. Just to go do it. And if you don't have a plan for go doing it, we put a basket out here after the last service because thought it would just come to us that uh, Union Gospel Mission, you want, you want to help somebody, go, go put some money in that basket right there. Uh, this is very important. And you, just, you think, oh, the Lord's going to shine on me. Let me tell you, they will see the good deed, and it won't be about you. They'll praise your Father in heaven. That's what the text says. I can't tell you this week how many times I've been thinking about the North Campus up there. How many times we need to be listening to this message I'm giving right now about that North Campus? Do you know that we're putting a campus on the side of the town where there's churches that just don't go? I, I've been doing church planning, and that's been my specialty and where my study has been. And we're, we, we're taught to go into growing neighborhoods where you can have viable, self-sustaining works. Huh? And so is that the north side of this town? Yes or no? No. And so what are we going to do? We're going to follow the Lord Jesus' plan. And he says, go on to a part of town. I, and I believe Christmas Eve. I, I think I've seen the place filled up on Christmas Eve with North Enders. And I talked to other pastors, maybe a trickle one or two. But for the most part, people are living in the five target neighborhoods we're going after up there. They're not coming down here to our churches. So we've got to go up there. And we've got to go up there and we've got to serve. We've got to be a blessing. And you say, well, I'm glad there's people in this church going to be involved in that mission. No, it's us going up there. It's us. It's our church. Satellite expression of this campus right here. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait for it to happen. We ought to listen to this tape a lot of times and get this in us. Because if you think it's just about you getting in the glory with God here on the west side, woo, we got to worship. Let me just tell you that the Bible talks about uh, when you do something to the least of these, you do it to Jesus unaware. You want an encounter with Jesus? Listen to me. 
go out there and wipe somebody's nose when they're hurting and they're do you, do you, do you understand yes I believe you do. So let's get into light. I don't have any time left for light, but there's some things I need to point out. And I purposefully did it this way. I wanted to talk more about salt than light. Um, Listen to this now. Number three, light is something that is seen, not something that is heard. Wow. You say, why is he saying wow? Because every time I ever hear a sermon on this passage, salt and light, it's about evangelism. You know, share the gospel, you know. Tell them your testimony. Open your mouth. Show them the Romans road. Read them the four spiritual laws. That's evangelism. And we all like freeze up. Ah, words, you know. Salt is about a hidden influence. It has nothing to do with what you say. Now you can season your conversation with salt and all that. I'm not just saying you keep your mouth shut and you never say who, you know, I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm not saying you don't show people that. But, but, but light, let me tell you, isn't about giving a moral lecture. Light is something seen, not heard. Unless you got a loud light switch and somebody smacks it, the only way you're going to know the light goes on in the room, hello, is with your eyes, because light is something that's seen, and it's not something that's heard. Now, the Bible's talking here. I don't have time to go into it all, but you know, you put it under your lamp under a bushel. You don't want to do that. Let me just give you A and B. I don't have time to develop them. There's two things that are going to be a bushel over your light, two things that are going to combust your witness. One's going to be your words, one's going to be your ways. Wish I had time to walk all that out. We can do stuff that just totally puts our lamp under our bushel. I'm not just talking about hypocrisy, I'm talking about things that we say and the way that we are. I just say zip it. Uh, Light isn't about moral lecturing. Light isn't about us shining the spotlight on somebody's sin. It's about lighting the pathway for them to find Jesus. Now, I have a story that I want to close with, and I, I have to work it out a little bit, uh, but this, is, uh, this, I think, will be important for you to understand uh, what I believe God gave me for you today with regard to light. Now, this was my rookie year as a youth pastor in Kansas City, been like 86, maybe it was into 87, I'm not sure. Um, and uh, I was a go-get-em youth pastor, but I got fired 15 times that year for uh, being too fun for the parents, basically. Uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, that was the year that, you know, I accidentally started the pastor's daughter's hair on fire. And, uh, you know, I wrote sin on a white piece of magic flash paper and said, you give your heart to Jesus, you'll forgive your sin, it'll be gone. And I, I lit it and threw it out. Well, this was in the days with the 1980s. Uh, you, you remember, ladies, what I'm talking about? That all the hair from these bangs, and, and Arwen was her name, and I threw it out to Jesus, I forgive your sin, and and woof, like that, literally. So, and, and that was the year. I had some trouble getting into ministry because I, uh, I uh, well, we had a camp out. I got the youth department together. We, we uh, brought all the teenagers out to a farm that was from somebody in our church had a farm. And the point of that night was just wear them out. Kids all over the woods and tripping and just wear them out. And then get them back to that campfire. We light a campfire, play laser tag, you know, flashlights out there. And then get them back by the campfire and to teach them about this light business. Being the light of the world and Jesus lighting the way to God and all, and, and all of this. And so we had them all out there. And, and uh, the leaders were in the dark as well. We were kind of gathered over by the cars. And we are watching these kids trip and fall. And, and, uh, and, but one kid in particular kind of got wandered off away from the rest. And we noticed he's having trouble. His light is starting to flicker. His flashlight is not working. And he starts to 
to make a turn. I think he's thinking he's coming back toward us, but we know he's going to be lost, and I'm laughing, and we got all the kids out there, and you parents are going, oh, man, I hope the youth ministry at this church is a little different. But anyway, he, he makes his way, what he thinks is coming back. He's not coming back. He's getting more lost. And now his flashlight's not working. We know where he is. We can kind of see him in the moonlight, see him moving every once in a while. And so instead of... Uh, going out after him and saying, you know, his name was Seth. Hey, Seth, you know, and then shining light. We're over here. Come here, buddy, you know, and, and bringing him back into a place of safety. Um, I think, let's sneak up on him. <laughs> so I get the leaders together. We're out there, uh, and we're sneaking up, and we get just in a, in a brushy area, and, he, and he's kind of wandering. He's whimpering, you know. He's a junior hire. He's afraid. He's hating this, and he doesn't have a flashlight, and and uh, where's mom, and whatever, he's just coming back, and, and I'm sitting there like this, and, and so he gets right to us, and yeah, yell, and jump out, and, uh, and shine the flashlight on him like that, three things happen, three things happen, number one, poor kid, yelled a profanity so loud, <laughs> he yelled so loud that, that the neighbors in the next farm's dogs are starting to bark. And then the second thing, and this, this isn't as funny, uh, uh, he, he, he wet his pants, <laughs> which created the third thing. See, he went from lost and scared to really mad and turned off. And do you think he heard a word of my Weasley little Bible study on being the light of the world that night? He could care less. I don't know. I, I, he, come, he came back, but uh, surprised he did. Surprised he did. What if I would have said, hey, Seth, I'll come out to get you. You just hang there, buddy. I got the light. We got another flashlight. What if I'd have, I could have had an object lesson that was unforgettable to go out and get a lost person and bring them back into a place of safety, couldn't I? But, but I blew it. And my friends, I want to tell you, there are lost people in this world. And God's not just saying, hey, you just go sneak up on them, yell, and then shine a light on their sin and run away. <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord wants you to do it in a different way. He wants you to influence people with salt, and then he wants you to, to bring the light into the place where they can be safe. And when I talk about light, I, I believe that there's, there's not a person here, I, I know we're humble people, that would say, I'm a light, man. I'm an example of a light. I'm a good light. Woo! I'm a brilliant, beautiful chandelier glistening for the glory of the Lord. You know, no, none of us. We'd all go, I got some work to do on my light. Let me tell you, don't let the brilliant, beautiful chandelier be your model. Because I see it every, every week. God uses a greasy old shop light to go down into the dark, grimy corner of something that's broken and get it fixed more than he'll ever use a chandelier maybe for some ceremony the great feast later or something god wants a greasy old shop light let's stand god wants a greasy old shop light not a big beautiful chandelier we're going to sing this song make me salt make me light it's a brand new song to us i just love it but listen it's a prayer god make me salt make me light make me let's pray Lord, make me a greasy old shop light that can go be used by you, totally connected to you, with a flow going through me that will go into a really hard-to-get-at place and fix something so that it works and so that there's a blessing. 
and so that people can get to where they need to go and be fulfilled and praise your name. I pray for that. I pray for this church. We'd be full of people who are salt and light. Salt first, light second. Not about our words. You'll give us words. The Holy Spirit says you'll give us, the Holy Spirit will give us words. But every single person here can go out and do this salt life, Lord. Make us salt, make us light.
God answers prayer. All right, now, you got faith in your heart because God's going to answer that prayer this week. He's going to make you salt. He's gonna consume, you're going to be consumed. That's going to be all right because he'll, he'll, then, he'll then flow through you. He'll empty you out to fill up. Into, you see what I'm saying? Pour it out, my friends. Pour it out. He's going to make you light this week. He's going to answer that prayer. Amen. Before you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the provision and the presence and the power of the Spirit of the living God rest on you today and every single day. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Baskets in the back. <laughs>